0: I want to begin the message by talking to you about a road that is called the El Camino de la Muerte, or the road of death. But most people just refer to it as the most dangerous uh, road in the world. It has steep hillsides, cliffs, drop-offs with, uh, with no guardrails to be found, many places only wide enough for one vehicle, Uh, To complicate traversing this road, there is frequent rain and fog, muddy surfaces, loose rocks sliding down hillsides. It's uh, located in Bolivia, and this dirt and rock road descends from the capital of La Paz, which is elevation 12,000 feet, and this road winds its way down uh, to the edge of the Amazon River. Um, An average of 26 vehicles fall off this road each year, sadly. Most of them are uh, even uh, large vehicles, buses and so forth, and so many, many people have lost their lives on this road through the years. But despite the danger, the road has become an increasingly popular tourist destination, Yeah, I I read that and said, what? A tourist destination? Are you kidding me? Um, And some of you are like, yeah, I'd like to see it. I think I'd like to go. You can have it. All I know is I've I've made myself a note that if anyone ever invites me on a mission trip to Bolivia, I've got a few questions I'm going to ask before I agree to anything. How could a death trap road become a tourist attraction, you might ask? Well, today I'm preaching a message on sin And sin can also be thought of as a road that leads to death. In fact, Proverbs tells us in chapter 14, there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. And it's an interesting verse because what it tells us is that, that there clearly are ways that lead to death, and we must be careful because sometimes those ways seem like what? The right way. They seem to make sense to our natural mind or maybe to the voices that are, that are speaking around us. They are encouraging that direction. And so we're called here in the book of Proverbs to be on guard. We see today and we'll see that sin is always destructive. It always harms. In Proverbs chapter 6, the question is asked, can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? So in many ways, a message on sin is also a, a warning for each of us. And I, I feel like, and as I've, as I've prepared this message through the week, I've, I've, I've thought, I am preaching a message today to myself. And I, I know that happens every week whenever, whenever I open up God's Word. It's just as much for me. But, but this week in particular, I'm just reminded that, yes, these are, these are words of warning that, that I need to hear today as well. You see, sin is all around us. It is the reason for every conflict in every type of relationship. It's sin. Sin is behind every war, every act of terrorism. It breeds ethnic animosity and strife. It's the foundation of, of jealousy and deceit. Anytime that one person causes harm to another, you can mark it down. Sin is involved. And as we look historically at different conflicts that have taken place throughout the ages, every single time it gives evidence that sin is at work, that sin is destructive, that it is harmful. And so today we think about the topic of sin, and we we really could go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, couldn't we? To the opening chapters of Genesis and see that in the garden, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were tempted, and they succumbed to a temptation. And at that point, sin entered the world. It entered humanity. And from generation to generation, the curse has made itself painfully known. And so we come today and we realize that we, in many different ways, have been affected by sin. And we, we've, we've had consequences of sin. We've had burdens. And yet we'll also see today, and we'll spend time uh, next week as well, reflecting on the fact that sin isn't the end of the story in the Bible. There is a remedy. There is hope for sinners like you and me, found in Jesus Christ. We go back into Genesis, and we remember that even Cain and Abel, some of the, the earliest uh, people in this world dealt with the, the, uh, the conflict that was, that was rooted in sin. The two brothers, Cain and Abel, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, listen to what it says. Sin is crouching at the door. See that picture? That picture that sin is, is crouching. The, 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 the sinful ways are really ways in which we'll bring about harm. And so we, we want to be, be mindful of what sin is seeking to do. In fact, the verse says, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So today we continue our summer series called I Believe. And the goal of the series has been to look at different aspects of the Christian faith. Week by week, looking at a different tenet of our faith. We've looked at what we believe about the Bible or what we believe about God. We've looked at the nature of people, the imago dei. And uh, last week, we looked at the holiness of God, and that, that really sets the, 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 the stage for us to really understand the nature of sin, because sin, of course, is, is, uh, is, is the comparison to the standard of holiness, which, of course, is God Himself. We've used a diagram throughout the summer to try to encourage us to, to remember that, that our beliefs or our doctrine is not just something that we say it's something that we're called to live out in a practical way. And so it's one thing to say, these are the things that I believe. It's, it's another thing to say, and, and this is my life that is shaped by what I believe. And we know that as we grow in our faith, as we grow in Christ, that our, our lives are brought more in conformity to that which we believe. And so that's the goal of, of the summer series is to help us with that, to be uh, very practical, but uh, uh, today we look at a theme that I, that I think is is exceptionally important and one that, uh, that really when you think about the nature of sin, it's, it's really the, the, the backdrop for why Jesus came in the first place, that he came on a rescue mission to rescue us from the bondage of sin, to rescue us from the penalty of sin, and, and to take, uh, to take that old nature and to give us a new nature, a new life in Him. And so we'll talk a little bit about that along the way this morning. We're going to begin the message by uh, thinking about the nature of sin. And so there are, uh, as we've done every week, just two points. The first one is understanding the nature of sin, and then we'll look uh, later in the message at, uh, at how we can put into practice what we believe about sin. So for us to understand sin, as I said, we begin with the holiness of God, recognizing that he is a, is, a, is a God, he is a being that is truly separate from any wrongdoing, any sin is not present with God. He is set apart uh, in that way, and we realize that it's, it's, it's our lives, it's the, it's the nature of sin that is a rebellion against who he is and what he stands for. And so sin is something that's very serious. As we will see, it has not only the consequences that we've mentioned already, but it has the capacity to lead us even further and further away from God. So we want to begin by understanding sin uh, by looking at Psalm chapter 51. There'll be a number of of passages that we look at today. But here is a passage in which David is praying specifically about his own sin. And he uses some words that I think will help us put together a definition of what sin is so that we really can understand uh, what it is that we're talking about. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Be gracious to me, God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. So we're seeing some words here that emerge in this psalm. Rebellion, guilt, and sin. Keep reading. Verse 3, for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. So I want us to think about the concept of sin by looking at the words sin, rebellion, and guilt, words that we find right here in Psalm 51. Now, depending on the version that you're reading, I'm reading out of the the, uh, the Christian Standard Bible, but some versions use the words sin, transgression, and iniquity. And we're going to see the similarities uh, for what, what those words are describing. So we begin with the word sin, and it is really any failure to conform to the moral law of God, whether that be an act or an attitude or, as we'll talk about today, our sin nature. And so we think about the law of God and we we realize that, that God, as the creator, established right and wrong. He established what is what uh, the way in which we are to live. You can go back into the book of Exodus and, and see even even something like the Ten Commandments gives us an idea of this is God's law. these are his ways. and when we are in violation of his ways, we are of course sinning. and so that's what it means when it says that uh, that it's it's a failure to conform to the moral law of God. It goes on to say that sin is a rejection of God's authority and his law. And I think that's an, an important distinction because when we say, I'm not going to live according to the ways of God or the law of God, whose way are we wanting to live by? Yeah, that's right. It's our own. We're saying rather than him being the one that is, that is in charge, I'm going to do it my way. And it's a very natural way, a a, a, a very uh, human way for us to respond, is to say, well, I just want to do it my way. It's my authority. It's my laws. Sin is also described as missing the mark. It's the picture of someone that's like an archer that just keeps missing the the, the bullseye or, quite frankly, missing the target altogether. That's what sin is describing. This is how we're to live and we just keep falling short. We keep missing time and time again. That's sin, the word transgression, is to knowingly and willingly cross boundaries that an authority has set. And so the Bible speaks about transgression, uh, not just against a moral code, but a rebellion against God himself. And so it's the idea that we are we are transgressing what God has established, and we are transgressing against him personally. So sin is a relational transgression. So maybe that's a way of seeing, some of the, the differences between these words that are used here in Psalm 51. But there's one more I want to point out, and that's the word iniquity. Sometimes we, we think about this as moral iniquity, something that is deeper than behavior, something that's not just actions. It's, it's speaking about the inner act to dis- distinguish from outer actions. You see, sometimes when we, when we think of sin, we, we, we naturally just begin to think of the external we think of the behavior, we think about the words, and yet, yet part of, of the battle, and, and maybe in many cases the biggest part of the battle, is what's going on on the inside, the inner self, the heart, that struggle that, that takes place before the actions even emerge. In fact, in Genesis chapter 6, we see this described. It says, "'When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth,' And that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. And so that's quite an indictment, but, but notice what's being described. Not just the actions externally, but what's going on in the mind or going on in the heart, going on with the attitude. All of that is pointing to the fact that, 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 that sin, sinful behavior, is, is preceded with a heart problem. And that's what I want us, as we think about the nature of sin, the problem of sin, I want us to think about it from the internal, the heart issue. In fact, I don't know, maybe you like to eat apples. That's one of the things I like to eat. I'll, I'll have several apples a week, and I always, always wash it. I look at it, and, and on occasion, uh, I'll find one that has a hole in it. Do you ever, ever eat an apple? You'll probably think about that. And typically, if I start eating an apple, I won't start where the hole is. You know, because you just have to stop and think, what's behind it, right? And in our mind, oftentimes we're thinking, well, well, there may be a worm that's worked its way in. But, but what I've read is that more times than not, that's not how it works. More times than not, the worm has eaten itself from the inside out. You wonder, well, how does that happen? Well, it's, it's when, and again, I know we've, we're about to have lunch, so I apologize in advance. But I think this will make a point. When a moth puts larva or an egg on an apple blossom... And then the apple develops and grows, guess what's hatching inside the apple? And eating itself all the way out. That's what typically has happened. Yeah, right, you're going to be ready for lunch here in a little bit, I'm sure. But, uh, but that's, that's very much like sin. We think it's all external, but it really begins on the inside. It's, it's a heart issue first. And that's a, that's a word for each of us to consider. To think about our own lives and to think, what direction do I want to go? What do, what do I want to do in terms of, of following after God and knowing that, that the battle begins in the heart? I think it's also a word for parents that oftentimes when we, when we, when we are raising children, we're, we're looking at things such as, as discipline. Oftentimes, we're thinking just about the behavior, but what is it that we, if we're not careful, we'll forget? Forget the heart. And so we've got to look at all of that. And that's exactly what these passages of Scripture are teaching. In James chapter 4, it asks a question. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. And so James is telling us that, yes, these are the external issues. There's conflict, there's war, there's fighting. But where does it come from? It's those passions on the inside. And I think it's interesting. The beginning of verse 2 says, you desire and do not have. You know what James is saying? You're not getting what you want. And isn't that oftentimes what sin really is? We're just not getting what we want. And so there, my friends, is where the battle with sin really begins. In the heart, in the mind. Jesus also emphasizes this. In Matthew chapter 15, he says, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. So this here is a word for us to understand that that our own thoughts, they precede the actions. It begins on the inside. Here's how Paul Tripp explains it. Sin is not just a matter of behavior, but it is a matter of the heart. If our problem were simply that we do wrong things, then various systems of behavioral management, control, and reform could help us deal with the problem. But... If sin is, in fact, a problem of the heart, then lasting change in a person's behavior, listen to what he says, will always travel through the pathway of the heart. So we're thinking this morning about the nature of sin, and we are seeking to understand, as these verses are teaching us, that it begins with a heart problem. It begins with the old nature that we have inherited generation after generation going all the way back to the very first sin. So if that's what sin is, what is the so what? What difference does that make for you and me as we live out uh, this upcoming week? What difference does it make on Monday morning? So we're going to look at the second point, and that is responding. Responding. Thinking about how do we respond to the effects of sin in our lives. Again, we begin with the sin nature. And I believe that the first response is to realize that as sinners, we need a rescue. As sinners, we need divine help. And that's where the good news is. That that because God is all holy and that we as sinners are separated from God. That means we, we, we can't enter into his presence. We, we, are, we are separate. And yet God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who could be both God and represent humanity, that he would come, that he would not sin, he would live a perfect life, but that he would die a death for the penalty of sin. So God sent Jesus as a substitute, and so as we think about about the death of Jesus Christ, we realize that he came and died because of sin, and he took that penalty upon himself, and in doing so, he gives those who trust in him new life. We are first and foremost forgiven of our sins, and we are set free from the bondage of sin, and all of this happens in Christ, and so that's, that's, that's where it begins. In fact, I would say that to rightly understand the gospel, which means the good news, to rightly understand the good news, we must first understand what? The bad news. We must see ourselves as sinners. We must see the damage that sin has done. We must see the separation from our creator, which has happened. But then to know that God sent his son on a rescue mission so that we wouldn't have to be separated for all of eternity. There is a way back to our heavenly father. It's explained here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Speaking of Jesus, it says he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Now there's there's a whole lot in this verse that we could look at thinking about what Christ has accomplished, and we're going to do that next week, Lord willing, as we gather together. But I I, I thought that this verse was interesting because of the way in which it described sinners. It describes them as those who live for themselves. Again, that's kind of a a definition there of of sin, that that we want to go our own way. We want to do things under our own authority, not not God's. We want to live for ourselves, not for the ways in which he has designed. And so so again, we look at a verse like, like this, and we see that God wants to rescue us out of even that kind of living, that he has a different way. Now, we've traced this theme in all of the passages that we've looked at so far. We've seen that sin comes from within. It's a heart problem. And because of that, we are able to see God's remedy. Look with me again at Psalm 51. This time, let's look at verses 6 through 10. And as I read these, I want want you to specifically look at how David addresses the heart problem of sin. Let's pick up in verse 6. It says, Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. So David's beginning with an internal focus. He's not just talking about the external sins at this point. Now, he's going to use some metaphors in verse 7. He's going to talk about hyssop. say, what is hyssop? Hyssop was a plant that was used in that time. It had some medicinal herbal properties used for cleansing. Also, he uses uh, the picture of of snowfall, just this idea of of that as well. So look at verse 7 with me. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. And look at how he describes it in verse 10. He says, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So clearly, David is understanding that he has a heart issue, a heart problem. Yeah, he has sinned in some some very external ways. We understand that. But he's he's focusing on the inside first and saying, Lord, work with me on the inside. Work with my my fleshly nature. Give me a new heart. Paul Tripp explains that David is crying out for a heart-cleansing Because he knows that's where the problem lies. David understands that his behavior can only go where his heart has already gone. Did you get that? The behavior follows the heart. And David's understanding that. So he's praying for the right kind of heart. He's praying that God would do a work in his heart. So that he would no longer go after these sins that were were trapping him. And, and these sins that were harming him and bringing about so much destruction upon his life and upon the life of his family. I mean, just think about the ripple effect of sin. You think about, about, uh, about David and, and the sexual sins that, that he was committing and all of the people that were affected by that. And so he is, he's understanding there's an issue and he's beginning with the heart. In Christ, we are given a new nature. In Christ, we are given a brand new life, and in, in doing so, we have the, the, uh, the, 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 the conflict of the old ways, the old heart, the old nature with the new nature. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, there's a really good description of what this looks like, and so let me, let me read it, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 5, it says, therefore, put to death... What belongs to your earthly nature? Now, I've been trying to set the stage for this understanding of earthly nature all morning. Earthly nature, the old self, the, the old ways, the, 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 the condition that we all have in terms of, of, uh, of being born in sin. This is the earthly nature. And he says that, that as part of that, there is sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices." And if put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Now, I hope that language is jumping out at you. This idea that there is an old self, there is an old nature, but in Christ we've been given a new nature. We have a new self. We have a, a new way of living because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Now we know that there will be a day coming. And in fact, you can read about it in the book of Revelation, when sin will no longer have its grip upon us. There will be a day when, 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 when all of what we experience with the, with, the, uh, uh, with the effects of sin, all of that will be, will be done away with, and we will, we will be in eternity with God. And, and we long for that day, don't we? To be set free from the burden of sin, the bondage of sin. The penalties of sin, all of that will be done away with. But now we have this new nature, and yet there are still remnants of the old nature. That's where the fight is. That's that's where you and I, those who are in Christ, you have a new nature, and yet you are at war with that old nature, that old way of thinking, that old way of living. And that's what he's telling the church there in Colossae. He's saying, these are supposed to be your former things, the way you used to live. You now are called to live in accordance with your new nature. And yet we know, as we've said before, that it's not not immediate perfection, right? We know that on this side of eternity, we will continue to struggle with sin. We will continue to be tempted. And yet, we also want to have our eyes open to know that we're in a battle. You and I are in a battle over this very thing. And I know it sounds a little strange when we think about this um, because we're basically saying we have sinful desires that we need to do battle with. And we live in a world and we live in a culture that doesn't talk a lot about battling sin. Why is that? Because we live in a culture and we live in a world that doesn't talk about sin, right? I mean, just think, we as a people work really hard to to, to, to try to cover it to try to redefine it, to try to think of it differently, and yet here we are face-to-face with God's Word saying, okay, you've got some options here. You're going you're to live by the old nature or the new nature, and it's telling us that we are to do battle. Now, back in the days of the Puritans, they referred to the battle with sin as the mortification of sin. Has anybody heard that phrase before? mortification of sin. I know you're probably not going to hear that this week unless you're the one saying it. It's not something that we hear, but it's, it's literally meaning killing sin, killing sin. And so, so in their time, they were taking this very serious. Why? Because they realized that sin is rebellion against God. They realize that sin brings terrible consequences. Like we read from Proverbs 6, that it's like, it's like bringing fire into your chest, right? Bringing it on your lap. Do you want to hold fire? No, of course not. And so when you think of sin in those ways, rather than trying to cover the sin or redefine the sin, but, but take an honest look at it, you will then say, I want to do battle with it. I want to mortify sin. And one of those Puritan pastors was John Owen. And he said this, If sin be not overcome and destroyed, it will overcome and destroy the soul. Do you mortify? Meaning, do you kill it? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Did Owen get it right? Now, I realize those words in the year 2022 are like sandpaper, right? I mean, we, we live in a culture that does not want to talk about sin. And if we're not careful as the body of Christ, we can, we can take the lead of, of the world rather than looking to the Word of God, which says, wake up, church. Deal with the sin that's around you. Deal with the sin that is within you. Remember the, the, the old nature that still raises its head and don't let it rule you. Again, strange language for our day. We live in a world that pushes back against personal responsibility, culpability. We work hard to say, it's not, I'm not responsible for that. We, we try to try to say people are not responsible for actions and so forth. That's That's part of the pushback that we see. And if we're not careful, this laissez-faire attitude that the world has towards sin can affect the way you and I think about it. We must remember that sin is a rebellion against God. It's a violation of his standards. It's a relational transgression against God himself. And so when we think about it in in a serious categorical way like that, it it allows us to, I think, begin to, to really work against it, to fight against it. And brothers and sisters, this is our duty as Christians We are to long for the righteousness of God. We are not to be passive with sin. We are not to be complacent. We are to recognize it and seek to do battle against it, to strive for obedience to Christ. And this means we are in a lifelong battle with sin. And let me add, a daily battle with sin. Here's how the British pastor, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, asked. He said, Christian, Christian, what have you to do with sin? Has it not cost you enough already? Burned child, will you play with the fire? Did sin ever yield real pleasure? Did you find solid satisfaction in it? If so, go back to your old drudgery and wear the chain again, if it delights you. But Inasmuch as sin did not ever give you what it promised to give, but instead deluded you with lies, don't get snared by the fowler a second time. Be free. And let the remembrance of your ancient bondage forbid you to enter the net again. I think he's exactly right. And I know, again, that there'll be people that say, well, this whole idea of fighting sin sounds a little legalistic, right? A little bit legalistic. Well, I don't think it's legalistic. Legalism is the pursuit of 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 a walk with God based upon what you do, right? By by toeing the line. That's not what we're talking about. We're we're talking about fighting against sin so that we don't get taken captive, so that we don't experience the 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 drudgery and the and the uh, uh, the bondage that is associated with the, the with sinful living. Our calling is to make it our daily work. In Colossians, it says we are to put it to death, verse five. Verse eight, we are to put the sin away. So what we see is a a call for a clear personal responsibility to recognize sin in our lives, but to also see that we can't do it on our own. In fact, I've been helpful. I've been helped by D.A. Carson, author and theologian, who references this battle as an effort that is driven by grace. Here's how he explains it. He says, people do not drift toward holiness apart from grace-driven effort. People do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer and obedience to scripture, faith and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. I think he's right. I think what he's saying is that that for us to really do battle with sin, we need to remember that God has given grace and that it's his grace that enables us by the power of his spirit to recognize sin to be able to see those temptations as they come upon us and to to have that that, that holy ambition to be dissatisfied with what sin offers, to no longer want to be tricked and and, and pulled away into these other ways of thinking or living. It's a new heart in which grace-driven effort is birthed from. And those who have been raised with Christ are able to pursue the Lord with this type of grace driven effort. It's an effort that wants to kill sin in our hearts. It's serious about putting to death these wicked thoughts or ambitions, those that are seen or those that are unseen. So, if you're tired today of the way in which sin has wreaked havoc in your life, today can be a day of decision, today can be a day of action. A day of saying, I want to capture the thoughts that are, that are seeking to lead me away. I want, to, I want to, to no longer go the way that the world is telling me is right. Because I recognize that it leads to the way of death. I read a couple of weeks ago about a young man, 26 years old, living in Wales in 1904. He, he worked as a miner and a blacksmith. So he was a hardworking young man but he was also called to preach the gospel. His name was Evan Roberts. He had a heart to see God work in his life. And he was praying that God would would work in in his country as well. And and he began to preach and, and he really made very simple points. Listen to what he said. He said, number one, confess all known sin to God and receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That's where it all begins. It all begins by coming to Christ. For forgiveness secondly he said remove anything from your life that you are in doubt of or feel unsure about maybe there are some things that, that that have crept in that you've hung on to you've allowed to remain when really what needs to happen is they need to be put aside they need to be taken care of he says number three to be totally yielded and obedient to the holy spirit which i think that's really where the the power of being able to have this effort really comes from And then he says also to publicly confess the Lord Jesus Christ. There's just something about making that stand, making that declaration in a public way to let people know where you're coming from. So this was his message. And what's interesting is that as he he preached, as he spoke, that people started to respond. In fact, in 1904 to 1905, in a six-month period, over 100,000 people, People placed their faith in Jesus Christ. There were only about a million and a half people there in the small area of Wales, and a hundred thousand of them came to faith in Christ in a six month period. And now historians look back and they call this the Welsh revival. Let me ask you do you think we are living in a time that needs revival? I mean, we, we, we can look around at all the chaos, all the confusion, all the heartache, all the brokenness, and I know there's all kinds of solutions that, that can be proposed and, and spoken of, but folks, it's really a matter of a spiritual awakening that's needed. And just think, just think, what would it look like if, if 100,000 people in our area came to know Christ. Just think of, of how things would change. In fact, in Wales, they said that at the height of this time, the, the crime rates were plummeting, that the bars and the jails were empty, that churches were full, that it was, it was making a, a difference in the, in the daily life. Do you think that God could do a work here among us, just like He did among the Welsh people? You think God could still do that? Where will it begin? Where will it start? I think it will only start in the church of Jesus Christ. I think it begins when you and me, when we get serious about dealing with sin in our lives. And I know, I know it's one thing for us to come and try to expose the sins of our culture and the sins of the world. And, and at times I think we need to do that as a warning to one another. But what about thinking about my sin? What about thinking about where I'm at, what I'm struggling with, what you're struggling with? When we decide once and for all that we're no longer going to tolerate sin in our lives, that we're going to bring those sins before God. I'm going to close from a passage in Romans chapter 13 because we've said each week that we want to say, this is what the belief is. This is how we are to respond. And I think Romans 13 summarizes it for us beautifully. Here's what it says. Besides this, since you know the time, It is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. Look at the last verse here. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's the call. That's the call, brothers and sisters, for you and for me to no longer make provision for the flesh, but to stay alert, to realize when those temptations emerge, to realize when those other voices try to lead us astray, and for us with the, with the wisdom of God, with the authority of his word to say, no, that's not the direction. Those are not the ways that I want to go. That's not what I want to live for. Make no provision. So for us today, maybe the temptations take different forms. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pride or materialism. Maybe it's envy or gossip. I'm sure that all kinds of temptations are among us. But one thing we have in common, and that is the need to take the temptation seriously, to recognize the condition of our own hearts and flee to Christ. Run to him and ask him, to create in us a new heart, to do that work on the inside so that then we can live in such a way as to bring Him honor. Would you bow with me as we take a moment? At the end of our time in the Word, I think it's important for us to to go before the Lord in prayer. And I'd like to ask you to begin praying. Pray right there in your seat and ask the Lord to, to, to take His Word and apply it to your life. Ask him to help you with, with any of those sins that, 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 that maybe are, are coming to mind. Or that have come to mind this morning. That you would bring those before the Lord today. Asking him to help you by his grace to fight against them. Maybe it's a time of confession. Confession. The time to, to, to bring it before the Lord, asking him to forgive, to heal, to do his work. And that's what's so beautiful about the gospel, is that we don't have to stay. We don't have to stay in the bondage of sin. We don't have to stay in the pain and the hurt. We can be set free. For some of us, this might be our first step today towards God. Maybe this is the first time you've seen your need to be forgiven. Maybe today is a day of salvation for some with us today. Or maybe for others, it's a day of recommitment. To say, Lord, I've I've gotten lazy in this battle of sin. I've gotten complacent. I've tried to blame others. I've tried to, to, uh, to take personal responsibility and set it to the side. But today, Lord, today, I want to stand firm. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that that you loved us enough to send your son to deal with the issue of sin once and for all. We thank you for his rescue mission and that we have had an opportunity to be rescued from sin. And so, Father, as we think about this subject today, we know it's a heavy one, but we know it's important. And Father, we want to place before you now our hearts, our minds, our attitudes, our desires. And we wanna ask that you'll do a work on the inside to help guide us and protect us Lord, we know that sin is crouching and it wants its way over us. And Father, I pray that today victory can be experienced by many of us, Lord, who are trusting in you. So God, would you hear our cries? Would you hear our prayers? Would you help us, Lord, to to deal with sin it, Knowing that we are dependent upon your strength. Knowing we are dependent upon you to ultimately do that work among us. So Father, we pray that you'll apply your word. We pray that you will be glorified. We pray this now in the precious name of our Savior Jesus Christ. And all of God's people's say